the most important point that you talk about is numbers and the due diligence and the contracts, right? You know, just because it works on paper does not mean that it would work in real. Also, that it should work on paper before you actually try to do it in real. Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. This is one of the last strategies that we are talking about, six strategies on making six figures and we are talking about rental JVs, rental arbitrage or what Cheryl calls it, the head lease agreements. And let me introduce my co-host, Miss Beautiful, Miss Cheryl Leong. Cheryl, how are you today? Jeez, we're getting really, really, you know, onto a trend with this beautiful and dashing. I'm fantastic. I know, right? <laughs> this, you know, I feel a little bit sad because, like, this is wrapping up our our six strategies for six figures. However, this is this is a really fun one, and it really talks around, especially for those who think that they need to always purchase properties to be making money. I like how this is just such a clever way to leverage off someone. We talk about arbitrage, right? Leveraging off someone else's property to be able to manufacture property cash flow cash flow mainly just being a bit clever and i mean if you take a step back one of the biggest bottlenecks in owning a property is basically that deposit that serviceability all of those things that transactional cost that comes together with that right and so when you think about rental arbitrage you know you're bypassing all of that and so you know, without creating so much curiosity around this, you know, take us through, Cheryl, let's do, okay, what is this rental arbitrage? How does that work? And why is it not so famous in Australia and it's so famous in US? Oh, okay. Well, actually, I'm not sure how famous it is in, in the US and in Australia. I understand it as Headley. So a few years ago, and I was introduced to this concept of head leasing and HMOs, particularly in, in, in New South Wales. Where you would be, you would basically get a head lease over a property and ensure that you got permission from, from the owners to be able to take a head lease and, and sort of sub, sublet it from there. However, you would take that property and convert it into a HMO, a house of multiple occupations. So you would have exit, would have the, you know, if you needed to put in extra walls to create rooms and so on and so forth. So effectively, you and in the property so say for example you were renting out a house for six hundred dollars and then you created five rooms where you were renting them out individually um so you can do this in victoria you can do this in also in queensland new south wales there there are obviously different regulations and rules around it so then you would get income from five different properties or how many rooms that you have in that property and it would increase, you know, double, double or triple the amount of revenue you would get. Not forgetting you still have the head lease debt that you need to pay out. But you, you don't have the cost of acquiring the property. You don't have the cost of stamp duties and, you know, land tax and things like that. So, you know, it becomes, and, and, and also if things don't work out, you can shut down the operations fairly quickly. Particularly, you know, we saw a lot of these HMOs and co-living spaces similar to these get quite impacted. Um, 
to had to sort of shut them down. Uh, however, things have picked back up. It becomes quite a viable and very high yielding cash flow type of business itself. But that's sort of just residential, residential business. I am going to hand it to you to talk about places. Yeah, look, look from a US perspective, this model is being replicated and you would see ads coming up and people who follow the US models and, you know, have invested in US would see this very openly when Airbnb first came about. A lot of people, what they started up doing was, you know, they started taking these properties and they started Airbnb it out. And so you would take a Hidley's on a property. I'll use a typical example. Say, for example, an owner is renting a property for 400. You would take it from that owner at 500 for a three-year lease. And so from owner's perspective, you are giving him the flexibility of offering him a longer lease. Number two, you are giving them more than the market rent. And number three, you are taking the maintenance on the property on yourself. So you're not leaving it on the table for them, you know, like typical residential properties where the owner has to manage all the repairs and maintenance. Number four, what you're also doing from an owner's perspective is you're giving them handsome returns from an annualized perspective, you know, that growth returns up front. And so I typically call these like a hybrid of commercial versus residential lease because what you're doing is you're using the power of residential lease, but you're adding, you know, commercial terms on it, right? And so, of course, you know, in, from an owner's perspective, you're taking that risk away from the owner of, oh, I don't have to worry about repairs and maintenance if the toilet is broken or the light is not working. They'll worry about all of this. Two, from an owner's perspective, there is a bigger rental coming back to them. And three, because there is an Airbnb, there is not a lot of, you know, wear and tear that is happening through, through these properties. Whereas, you know, normal house, you would expect that, you know, there is a lot of wear and tear happening. And also from an owner's perspective, and this is quite the key and quite important is, you know, when you think like an owner, an owner with a big house, you know, say five bedrooms, six bedrooms would usually accommodate a bigger family in those houses. And that's why they would be asking for bigger rents. Whereas because they are, and, and you would see that, you know, more repair and maintenance coming through these houses, you know, where there is only one bathroom or two bathroom there. And so there are six people using two bathrooms and you, you know, you would get, you know, a lot of these repairs and maintenance on these old houses. Typically in Airbnb, you would get a family who has lived there for two days or one day or three days and they come in and out and, you know, there is not that extensive use of the house. And that's why the, the protection or the asset protection is definitely there from an owner's perspective as well. In some cases, what I've also found out is even the insurance is being taken over and even the land tax is taken over in some cases as well. Okay. And so that's where the owner's sort of appetite is that, you know, oh, I have a three-year lease signed up. I don't have to worry about it. I have, and if, if I have my mortgage fixed, well, this is me making money, right? So, you know, it's a, it's a pure win scenario from an owner's perspective. And so when you think about on the flip side from a person who's taking the lease, of course, you know, what they're doing is they're maximizing the return out of the property. And so while they're, they're not putting any money up front, you know, they might only be putting in relation to the staging of the house, or they might be putting money up front in relation to the, the bond of the house, okay? Or even, you know, a little bit of conversions, a little bit of repairs and maintenance. Ultimately, the cash flow comes in from day dot. And, and that's where the beauty of this transaction works, that you don't need a lot of money to basically do this. And you don't need a lot of convincing to the owner because, of course, you know, they, they would love it. You know, this is all music to the ears from an owner's perspective. And so typically, this was a very successful model in the US where you would hear people 
owning 20 to 30 properties in literally a span of two to five years. And they've created a passive income for their own self, you know, doing this. Where the model failed quite significantly in US was during COVID. And because there was no Airbnb or no one was, you know, traveling. And I was hearing this story from this one person that I follow quite religiously who does this on a mass scale. I think he has 300 properties right now. He quickly converted these Airbnbs into housing, houses with multiple occupants. And that's how he quickly restructured and he's like, okay, I need to respond to COVID in order to making sure that, you know, I can ride this wave because if there is no cash coming in and that's the biggest problem with Airbnb, right? That if there is no one coming into your Airbnb to as as a guest or um, as an outdoor going or vacation, uh, that cash can go from like $150,000 a year to literally $0, right? Especially in these circumstances. And so I've really understood as to, okay, you know, that transition was very powerful. And that's where I've seen that market opening up in Australia right now, where people are using these in, you know, rooming house operations. And I've seen, you know, some companies doing that as a business model. You know, I've seen, especially two people that are doing this as a full-scale business model. And it's an amazing business model. You don't need a lot of capital in order to basically create a passive income for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, you talk about the the, the two strategies there when, in terms of the Airbnb and the the head lease when you're doing co living. Yes, you're going Airbnb from a from a capital perspective. You're not going to be doing a whole lot in terms of putting up walls and so on and so forth. But the things that you need to be aware of is wherever you're you're going to be taking a head lease for the Airbnb to make sure that the numbers work. Like it's a it's a popular place that that you can. Uh, people who are renting renting your Airbnb, you do the numbers. It's 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 sort of the underlying thing in all the strategies we talk about. You've got to do the numbers. You've got to do your due diligence, and you need to be able to ensure that any agreements that you're going into with your head lease covers things like what it is that you're covering and the right type of insurance that ensures that you're also covered. Definitely. And there is an inherent risk that comes through with a lot of these things, right? You know, people are usually very optimistic about numbers. And so with all the strategies that we've discussed, and then the rental strategies are, I would say, one of the hardest to understand what the future income of some of these Airbnb or rentals look like unless and until you've tried and tested this out. Because, you know, ultimately what you're doing is you're trying to manage it yourself. And so there are licensing issues that are you know, with roaming houses, there are roaming house, you know, operator licenses, etc. All of those things that needs to be taken into account. Of course, you know, on the rental perspective, if you are renting these out subsequently, you know, there might be explosions in relation to having a real estate license. And so, you know, people need to think about some of these things up front in making sure that, you know, while there is money to be made, you know, there is a certain amount of due diligence that goes in there. You know, you can't do a conversion, you know, where the house is not big enough, you know, you need to think about how are you going to change the layout. The other important thing is that while you get these houses and you are investing money, for example, to put walls and put toilets or, you know, bathrooms, etc., or portable ones, uh, you need to give the property back to the owner in the right condition, right? And so it's important that you take some of these things into account that, you know, you can't just, you know, give them back so some of these costs needs to be, you know, costed out up front. The other thing also is that, you know, you can't assume these contracts in perpetuity. You can't just say, oh, 
this owner has, you know, given it to me for two years. And so I'm going to now hold it for 10 years, you know, the owner might see the value in the product in itself. And two years later, say, see later, I'm going to do this myself. This is an amazing idea. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Because, you know, as much as it is good for you to hold, have a, a long term lease, you mentioned as well, sort of, you know, if you, if you come up with sort of almost commercial terms where each year you're increasing the rental, hopefully you've got a, an owner that, that finds that attractive, but you just might find someone who's, no, I could do it myself. Yes, 100%. Yeah, thanks for the idea, 100%. And so, and so if you are allowing for that, you know, two-year or three-year period of lease, ensure that not only you're recovering your money back, you're also making a decent profit. You know, one of the few mistakes that I could perceive is, you know, people would naturally assuming a break even at a two-year time, you know, because they are spending, say, $50,000 in conversion. And so if you're not doing that break even and, uh, and there is not an agreement to extend that lease, then you're almost, you know, stuck on some of these things. You know, residential agreements are where the limitation in residential agreement typically is from what my understanding is. And again, look, you know, seek your advice is, you can't have, you know, two plus two or two plus three like you can do with commercial agreements, right? It always has to be a fixed term agreement and you walk out and that's it. You know, the owner can give you a notice awakening and say, see you later, does not have to do anything, right? With commercial lease, you can control it a lot better. And so, you know, one of the reasons that a lot of people don't go down this path or they find it too risky is because of that perpetuity nature of the leases. And so, any money that they are spending on these properties, if they're not making handsome returns in the first two years, there is a risk of the owner putting their hand up and saying, I'm going to do it myself. Thank you for the idea. Yeah. And this is the other part we haven't quite touched on is, is, the, is the property management or the room management. So, yes, you may have a great idea to secure a property and hit a head lease and everything else. The next part, and actually I'd say probably the part that determines the success of the strategy is to make sure that you've got really great property management system behind that and, and how much that's going to cost you. So whether you're going to do it yourself or you're actually going to pay someone to do it, in which case you've got to do those numbers to see whether it's worth it for you to actually engage someone else to do it. What, you know, what sort of profit margin you're going to make out of that. Definitely. And look, I mean, some of these models would only work when you are on the tools, you are hands-on doing it yourself, right? You're painting the house yourself, you're building the walls yourself, you're putting the furniture yourself. And so there is a bit of notion in sweat equity that you need to put in. You can't just assume that this is a replicable model where you hire the tradies and they do all the work because the more cost you put in, the more risk is for you to not being able to recover should you know, COVID 2.0 happens or should something else happens, right? And so some of those cost upfront costs needs to be, you know, quite capped. You know, one of the things that I heard from the people who are doing this was because they don't have a lot of money, you know, they are raising that money from investors and they're giving them like 10, 15% returns. And so I was like, well, if you give them 15% returns, if you have, you know, management company doing the management, there's massive risks, right? Because you are working so thin on the margins that one thing goes wrong or one extra repair and that's it, you're done, right? Yeah. Now, what if the roof starts leaking for some odd reason, for example, or an aircon breaks down or, you know, some big ex expenditure that comes through that is not covered under insurance and, you know, you've completely exposed yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I said, you know, there's lots of ups 
side. And then there's lots of things you just have to consider in terms of the other side. We want to be really open to that to make, to have you think about if you're not doing these strategies, but you're considering it to be put into your bucket of different strategies, the things to, to consider as well. Yeah. And so I think the most important thing to consider with all of these strategies, you know, while we do the wrap up of all of these, you know, six strategies is, you know, the most important point that you talk about is numbers and the due diligence in the contracts, right? You know, just because it works on paper does not mean that it would work in real. Also, that it should work on paper before you actually try to do it in real. Okay, so both of those points are quite important. You know, people become quite excited thinking that, oh, this is a, an amazing idea. This is so easy. I can do it so quickly, you know, without understanding some of these inherent risks that comes through. And, you know, while people have this adrenaline rush running through them, not, oh, I'm going to, to be the next millionaire because of this amazing idea. Next thing you know that, you know, you're filing for an administration or you're filing for bankruptcy because, you know, all of this thing has gone belly up. So that due diligence is always the key in, you know, talking about all of these strategies that we are talking about. Absolutely. Wrapping up, Cheryl. Strategies for six figures. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do with ourselves now, Ross? <laughs> we'll definitely come up with some exciting more topics. But again, thank you for listening to us. This was wonderful. This was amazing. Stay tuned. If you have any questions in relation to all of these six strategies, not just rental or arbitrage, please do join in in the comments, join our communities, Property Development Australia, Property Investment Australia. Thank you for listening to us. Keep smiling, keep investing, stay safe. This is Sherilyn Moss checking out. Adios. Take care, everyone. Bye.